0: People really enjoy the comfort of their isolation. People really enjoy that bubble of existence and um, they rather ignore uh, the problem. They rather ignore the others.
1: Hi, I'm Hannah.
2: And I'm Monica. And you're listening to Cage Nation.
1: Welcome back, Cage Nation listeners. Hello, welcome
2: back. Hey, Monica. Hi. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Great.
1: So this month's episode is going to be a little bit different. Yeah, hopefully you're ready for it.
2: This month what we're going to be doing is some narration and some reflection on the episode um, that we have recorded with a guest, Anthony, and so we're excited to do it. It's just a different way for us to think about the content and the conversation
1: and to share it with you all. So, this month's episode is community. And people might not think that community as a general concept is related to reentry. And we want to talk about why reentry and community is so important. So, Monica, why did we ask Anthony to be part of our community episode? When we were listing
2: different topics and ideas for the show, the idea of community came up and I thought we have to get Anthony on the show to talk about Mm -hmm. something because he's such a cool guy. He has such a great energy and he is and he's so reflective and um, for the listeners who are going to be listening to this episode. He is as genuine as he sounds. Mm-hmm. This is not just for an interview or because I've asked him to come on the show. He really is this genuine. Yeah. And I met Anthony a couple years ago at um at a job. And right away when he came on our team, I knew that he was different. And we started about the same time. And we just had a great time working with one another. And he became a good friend of mine. And so I really appreciate the time that he took to come share his life with us.
1: So, Monica, how many people a year do you think release from prison? Well, I think it's in the
2: thousands. I don't really know. Like, 10,000?
1: Close. Okay. It's 9 million. Uh Uh-oh. I was a little off there. A little bit. Sorry, guys. So, 9 million people release from prison every year. You're kidding me. In the United States. That is Crazy nine million people, and where do you think those people go? Back to jail? They go home. Oh, okay, right. They go home and whatever that looks like. <laughs> Eventually, sometime. back to jail. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but they go home, and yeah, and some people don't have a home to be released to. Right. Um, prisons release people to shelters. Mm-hmm. They or to the streets or to the streets. Um, but nine million people are coming out of prison every year into our communities so that's one segment of the population how many people a year do you think are on probation well there's a couple million i would say three million close so 4.5 million wow and if we round up we're talking about 15 million people who are justice involved within any given year and that does not include people who are entering the system who have had recent um, experience in the system but are maybe a year out right so community is really really important when we're talking about criminal justice work and prison reentry because mm-hmm. it's such a huge portion of our communities
2: yeah and those are huge numbers we're not talking about a couple hundred people no. this is relevant and this is important and so I'm glad you all are listening to this so Anthony is a friend of mine I met him about a year and a half ago at a employment place. Um, We don't have to say what that is. Um, So I was thinking of you, Anthony, for this show because of a lot of discussions that we've had about so many things in life. Uh, Anthony is someone that can have a really deep conversation about like anything. um, And I think that's a strength. And so when I was thinking about something as deep as criminal justice issues, prison reentry, family, incarceration, all of that, I thought... Anthony's going to have some opinions and ideas about this, so that's why I invited him on the show. So I'm really happy that you're here to talk with us.
0: Yeah, thanks for seeing that, Emmy, Monica. I think it's really important for us as individuals to have those conversations one on one and have that direct impact uh, with each other. And um, I think that's the best way that's going to lead to change overall.
1: So, with that being said, Anthony, when does a person's sentence end?
0: Yeah, I I really like that you're asking that question. Um I really feel like it doesn't end with the way the system's set up right now. Um it's built as rehabilitation and the idea is to help somebody be more functional in their life after their sentence. Um but when we look at the way the structure is set up, um it really doesn't help. Um it, it creates more barriers. Um it, they're not getting more skills. Uh, and it's just another thing to overcome. And for most people, they have to carry that weight for the rest of their life. It's a stigma. Um, they have to explain it at every job interview. And so it it, it doesn't end unless we change our system um, and really truly care about the rehabilitation of the individual and rehabilitating our community. Um, it's never gonna end.
1: So Anthony says that sentence never ends
2: yeah and I don't think that it does mm. and I think he lists a lot of different reasons and realities of the system that communicates to us it doesn't end it never ends yeah that it's this ongoing thing that there's not despite the timeline of actually serving time mm-hmm. in a facility or an in in an institution the idea of punishment or paying for something doesn't end doesn't end i appreciate that you touch on pieces about a system when you're asking about a question of a person um getting a sentence and a release date right it's this time period to say here is the day you are back in the community or here is the day that you're probation ends or whatever it is there's like these timelines that feel pretty arbitrary when you think about what it really means and the impact and so I appreciate that you talk about um, not the system or the system rather than just the individual like for the individual their quote-unquote sentence might have ended the day that they left or the day they got off of paper but really the the feeling and the impact lasts a lifetime. Yeah
0: right and we're still arguing over whether or not felons can vote and I, I don't even know how that's still a discussion.
2: Which seems crazy, right? right. Like such an archaic conversation.
0: Yeah. yeah, you know, these people aren't, you know, enslaved. These people are human beings. Um, and they have a right in saying what's happening with our country. Um, but that's how it's set up so the system can perpetuate and keep going.
1: What would you say to people out there who say, (coughs) you know, my uncle was incarcerated and now he is a millionaire, he's a CEO of some business or um, my sister successfully, whatever that means, um, reentered into the community? How would you frame what you said earlier to those types of or people with those experiences?
0: Yeah, um, you know, similar arguments can be made about racism in the US, like, oh, we have a rapper who's making millions of dollars and they're a mogul. Um, but in in a lot of ways, unless we're raising the, the community up and raising the livability for everyone, um, that that one outlier is not really representative. Of the reality of the experience of the community, and even having that one person, um, it kind of ties into that individualism that we are, at, we, we live in um, in our society in our culture, and so if anything, it's more detrimental for ha- having that outlier because it focuses on that one person's success without us striving to raise the livability for everybody. Um, and then it turns into this sh- struggle on um, where we are all at all costs trying to live up to that one person's, that one um, unicorn's, uh, their pathway, when it's not a realistic way for, for people to get there. Um, it, this is a deep systemic problem, and we all have to work on r- uh, raising it equally across the board. Um, if any one person's suffering, then you know, that one person's success doesn't really matter much.
2: What is the definition of community? So we're going to go head head first, like we're diving in deep here.
0: I think, you know, uh, community for me, I think it also kind of ties in with culture um, for me. And it actually is only something I came to as an adult and kind of trying to unwrap my my trauma and my trauma history. Um, and I think I've been so involved in the way that I have um, because I have always been looking for a sense of community, a sense of belonging um, because of the economic situation, because of race, um, I th- and because of justice, uh, justice involvement, um, I moved around a lot. Uh, I never really had stayed in one place for very long and so within that I I learned how to be flexible and adjust Um, but I also never really had a sense of community but as I got older I started to realize like I also didn't have a sense of what my culture was or what that meant for me and um, so when I got here I realized that those gaps of communities, um, were really huge. And then as I started doing the work, I started realizing that, um, community building was me trying to connect with my culture and help people find their culture. Um, and ultimately it just really comes down to roots. Um, and having this foundation of either people or places or even um, this bedrock of ideas where we can all um, connect to that as a foundation and then grow up through that Um, and I think community can lead to uh, culture and they're pretty intertwined Uh, so I think yeah a lot of my involvement um, and my passions in some ways it's been a healing process for me um as a, a tree without roots um and trying to figure out where my community lies um in in a in a search for my culture and um and trying to connect with other people who are experiencing similar barriers yeah
1: what does it mean to be part of the community but also part of the criminal justice system
0: being a part of the criminal justice system um it's something that you carry with you. Uh, and that kind of ties into that first question, when does your sentence end? Um, and I think uh, being involved in the criminal justice system is something that you always carry with you. Um, and so when I've found community and I've found um, spaces where I've wanted to build relationships, I think it's, it has to be genuine. And when it comes to a community wrapping around issues of justice involvement, um, there has to be some lived experience. There has to be some understanding of what that experience looks like in order for it to be a holistic approach to community building, um, a holistic approach to relationship building, coalition building. Um, So I think that having some kind of involvement or, is just a concept or a trauma or a shared trauma um, that we can all um, connect with as a community. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's very important in community building to have uh, a common lived experience and to be able to share that in a genuine way helps, you know, with that community building aspect, yeah.
2: You mentioned the word uh, trauma in relation to, like, Uh, making connections in the community with people um, because that can be a common um, I don't know if it's a starting place for people but it can be a common connection because that word can mean so many different things when you think about those who have been incarcerated or those who have interacted with the system or been largely impacted by the system why is trauma one of the things that comes to mind
0: I think trauma comes to mind uh, for a lot of reasons I think yeah, in one sense, um, trauma could be this rallying point where we're all acknowledging something that we want to grow. Um, and But also, it could be something that we perpetuate.
1: The word trauma that Anthony is using is really important, and he's using it for a reason. Yeah. He's using it for a reason because he's talking about shared experiences, and we understand in our work that, Trauma as a shared experience is pretty universal within this community. How do we understand or know what trauma is defined as?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that it's a term now that is used more often. Mm. When we're thinking about the definition of trauma or what falls within um, something being traumatic for somebody... Really, it's just an experience that overwhelms someone's ability to cope. When I was working with people who were incarcerated, often they listed getting sentenced to prison or coming to prison as one of the most traumatic things that they had experienced. Mind you, these are people who often grew up in homes with sexual abuse, who went through crazy medical things, who lost their parents, who were involved in domestic violence, things that might come to our minds more often than going to prison. But going to prison um, for many folks is one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened.
1: And I think what's important about why Anthony's saying this is because the shared lived experience is what is uniting people together and what is supporting people in healing after their trauma
0: trauma could mean a bunch of things and um I think as humans interacting with other humans if we haven't had direct justice involvement um most of us 99% of us have had some sort of trauma and that's something we can relate to um we or most of us have had experiences that have la- left a lasting mark on our psyche, on our body. Um, and even though we haven't been locked up or watched a family member get, you know, taken away as you're a child being left alone at, the, at your home, um, we all know what it it's like to experience pain. Um, you know, uh, whether we lost a family member through illness, um, it's just this a very similar feeling and um when you look at neurodiversity it has the same impact on your mind and your brain um and so when we acknowledge that these individuals have experienced a very specific trauma um we can't really remove ourselves from that experience you know it's something that we can look at and um, we can identify with uh even if that isn't our own specific experience and it there it's very easy to say these other people or these people that did something wrong and now they deserve this punishment that they're going to have to live with for the rest of their lives but if you think of your own trauma um i would say most of the time you didn't deserve to have to carry that weight uh for the rest of your life. Um, So if we can just talk about like these basic values that we have as a society um, and basic pains that we've all experienced, no matter uh, what initiated that pain, um, we still have a lot of common um, suffering. And unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of suffering. And if we can just acknowledge that it's a common experience to have suffered and to have experienced trauma, then we're one step closer to um, building community around issues like justice um, and justice involvement
2: things like judgment and assumption and labels create a division right like those people like those people who are locked up or (coughs) yeah yeah. people who are convicts people who are felons people who are offenders whatever term comes out it's a way to divide um, which also seems like intention within the system Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. Um, because if I can divide the people, then I can create power and control over what ends up happening. Um, and so instead of looking at what do I have in common, what's the shared experience, how does my experience mirror maybe what someone else has gone through, it's easy to say that person who really screwed up and probably deserved that sentence, um, they're going to have to deal with their own consequences, kind of not my problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in a larger context, um it's beneficial for the people who are exploiting us to keep us isolated. Yeah, exactly. You know, for the, the people making millions of dollars and billions and trillions of dollars off of our backs, it's highly beneficial for them to keep us divided. And so all the media and everything that you learn just feeds into that, um, that paradigm that we are isolated, that person is isolated, and there's nothing that can connect us Um, the moment we start to take control of that and recognizing that it's very strategic to isolate us um, is the moment that we get closer to autonomy Um, and that needs to happen on an individual level like i was saying like with conversations like these and that will lead to the community being more self-reliant and healthy and self-sufficient where we can separate ourselves from you know these capitalist structures yeah
1: so prisons in the United States cost us about 80 billion per year
2: well that's a lot of money
1: 80 billion
2: so I think for listeners one thing that I hope you can sit with is who is really benefiting from the cost of prisons
1: Anthony, do you think that incarceration is traumatizing to a community?
0: Yeah, um it's highly traumatizing. Um I know in some ways I've been trying to escape that trauma myself. Um I remember being young and something as simple as going to 7-Eleven with my dad. Turned into a traumatizing experience When he got pulled over um, By the cop that we know by the first name You know Um, And then he's getting locked up Getting sent to county jail Um, And then I was just left on the side of the road You know crying and waiting for my mom To come pick me up Um, And so being separated From this person who You know I needed guidance from I needed to learn how to be A functional adult um, And now there's this gap and where I can't connect with them. I can't, um, you know, debrief about my day. I can't get guidance. And so here I am as a young man uh, trying to understand the world around him without having some kind of mentorship. Um, and I, you know, I remember visiting him and stuff, and, but it's just not the same. And so now you have a bunch of um, isolated people again um, trying to figure it out uh, on their own. And I think one of the great benefits of community is that we can mentor each other, we can inspire each other, which helps us stay away from making the same mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And once we grow, we hopefully will avoid similar mistakes and then we can reach a higher level of understanding and um, I don't know, health overall. And so you're extracting people, you're extracting knowledge, you're extracting experience, you're extracting mentorship. Um, And so you know, it's almost like fumbling around in the dark when you have incarcerated folks. Those people are trying to survive day to day on the inside and on the outside you're trying to do the same, but you just don't have your friends, you don't have your family from one day to the next. And even when you do have them, you don't know when they're gonna be gone you know it could be tomorrow and so you're always running your game or trying to survive not knowing um if any of it's going to be stable and so without stability without consistency mentorship or guidance um from family members or friends then it's hard to build community and that's kind of i left me wandering you know and um kind of bouncing around in my professional careers and trying to learn where I can and grow where I can and stumbling frequently. Um, But that's why I couldn't find a community or I had a hard time finding community. And now as an adult, like I've tried to be more involved and invested so I can build that myself. So yeah, you know, that model of incarceration to make the community better it's been playing in front of all of everybody who's near it in any way that it it hasn't had a positive impact overall
1: and when we think about communities of color specifically one in three african-american men and one in six latino men are incarcerated so we're talking about huge sections of communities who are completely removed from the larger community furthering that isolation and um you said earlier individualistic consciousness
0: yeah and yeah and and then it just turns into this odd cycle for communities like you have this this gap you have this void and then within that that emptiness how are you going to survive well, I'm not going to fit into any traditional way of education. I'm not going to fit into traditional way of generating income for myself or my family, and so you have this gap. You have this huge void, and then the people who are left behind are left with no tools to survive. Um, and then, what's your options? You know, do something illegal, and then great. Now you're prime suspect. You're prime to be also remove from your community. So it's a great way for the system to just help us perpetuate you know the same th- things over and over again and continue that uh, involvement. But it's weird how communities or I can just say from my own experience, um, how it could also turn into a badge of honor. Um, you know, when you don't have uncles or cousins or f- brothers or sisters that are going to college, but um have more jailhouse tattoos or have um more increasing violent crimes then in some ways you know that's a badge of honor you know I went to such and such prison I survived you know I survived in gladiator school you know and here I am I'm back and then you know without any other heroes you know your heroes become those violent people um and so you know, if you're left with no other means of achievement, you know, no other um, people around you that are getting any kind of attention, then, hey, if this is a way to have attention, have a name, make a name for myself, then, you know, by all means, I don't have any other options anyway. So in some ways, the community itself can't see Or I've seen in my life um, this inability to see beyond that immediate, like, excitement around being involved and um, being violent and committing crimes. And then, you know, it's almost like a goal to be more violent or to have more time to have more jailhouse tattoos. I've
2: had a lot of people I've worked with over time tell me that it wasn't a matter of... Uh, If they were going to get to prison, it was a matter of when and or um, or if they were alive long enough to make it to prison, which is a sad reality to think, like, can I make it past age 20? Um, And here I am at 25 and like I'm alive um, and here I am in prison like I always knew that I would like that was almost a part of the plan. And I remember one person particularly um, telling me, this may be a surprise to you all that I'm here, or you're kind of wondering, like, how in the heck did you end up here? But like, I knew I was coming here. And I knew my options from a very young age were to sell drugs or sell myself. And that was it. Like, there wasn't another option. I wasn't going to go to school. I wasn't going to get a job. I wasn't going to have a family. There wasn't any other value system except how was I going to make money. And this was it these are the options in my family and so however sad disheartening discouraging that can sound I think that's a reality for large portions of the community mm-hmm. when you talk about um earning earning something or having something of value
0: some achievement yeah yeah and in some ways like <laughs> me separating myself um uh, from my community uh because i had some odd awareness that it wasn't going to be productive for me in some ways i feel like i'm abandoning my community right. i'm abandoning my family like I'm turning my back on them yeah. yeah yeah and that's you know this odd side you know uh depression and trauma that goes around it too it's like now i've had to separate myself for my own survival from my family, from my culture, from people that I love that, um, take care of me and people that would give you the shirt off their back in an instant that would really go to bat for you. Um, but I've had to, you know, turn my back and it, it's sad for me, you know, and I feel bad for my, my children that they don't know my community that I was raised in, you know, they'll not, Walk those streets and have those experiences, and a lot of them were lots of fun. And you know, I made a lot of connections and really genuine connections with people I love. Um, but I feel like I've abandoned my community because of that.
1: Mm. And I think I keep, when I hear you say that, I, I keep going back to what you said about the system being designed that way. I think when I think about communities who have been systematically traumatized. The entire function is to make sure that they're not achieving, they're not looking in the future, they're only surviving. I think it's so powerful um, that even when you look to the future, you're abandoning the past.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's an effort to um, stifle those outliers, you know, stifle success um, and just keep that story going. Yeah. It's just all part of the same process, yeah.
1: What kind of l- losses do you think incarceration makes or contributes to?
0: I mean, there's a whole host of things. Um, I would say definitely mental health, physical health. Um, I know I have a lot of family members that have, like, hep C because of using, you know, um, while they're locked up. Um so just physical, mental, um, and then how that affects your your body, how that affects your DNA, how that affects your expression of your chromosomes, um, how that affects your children um, when they're receiving this traumatized DNA. Uh, So it's definitely generational um, whether or not they have your future kids uh, have that direct experience. They're still going to have some kind of impact on how their brain develops um, because you experience trauma um, during your life. So definitely health, overall wellness, but I think partly too, is just um, this sense of just not having options and not being able to see a pathway beyond that experience. Um, It just takes away your options um, takes away your ability to see those options, and even if you see them, it, it takes away that, um, that idea that you could walk through that door, um, that you could take those steps and become something different, uh, it really just narrows your focus on what's just right in front of you, um, just purely out of what you know, or, uh, surviving, um, I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of great intentions on developing programs or throwing money at the problem, where it's just like, hey, over here's a great option. So why don't you just go take it? You know, here's a refreshing glass of water that I paid for. So just come and have a drink. Uh, but it's not as simple as that. Um, walking towards that ideal, walking towards that light, that great opportunity. Um, it's paralyzing and, uh, uh, and in a lot of ways, that's why it's taken me so long to get to where I am professionally is that um, every time there's been a chance for me to improve myself or um, get new skills, I know on the service level, it's a good option. You know, that's what it looks like on TV. That's what it looks like for other people. It's what it looks like for white people. And, but in the back of my mind, there's tons of hesitation. There's tons of anxiety. There's tons of stress. And so I might take a step and then I might take two steps back. You know, I may take a few steps forward, but then I might end up, you know, abusing alcohol, abusing drugs, just because the stress of engaging with a good thing um feels very foreign it feels very scary um and so it just it just feels like it narrows your focus and it, it just removes that idea that you could be something different
1: so recidivism there's a lot of different definitions states have their own definitions of what recidivism means nationally there's a definition but really we're talking about rearrest. Or Re entering the system, Monica. The recidivism rates in, in the United States are between 70 and 80 percent within five years out of prison or some type of sentence. Mm. So we're talking about the majority of people are re entering the system after they've served some type of sentence. There has to be some barriers to successfully, whatever that means, re entering. Because we're talking about a sentence that doesn't go away. What are some of the barriers you've seen? And I'm I'm going to share some of the barriers that I've seen because I know that we've seen a lot of those together. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for people? Well, one word
2: that I appreciate that Anthony uses is rehabilitation. And I like that he uses that word in this episode because... Almost because it's contradictory to mm-hmm. what the system, I think, ends up doing with people. That doesn't mean that there aren't benefits that people gain. We've had um, al- already, we've had guests on the show that say they gained something out Saved of their, their in- life. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Something out of their incarceration. They appreciated it. So that's not to say that there isn't value there. But as far as barriers, things that get in people's way, I think it's all across the board. Um, Some of it is finding a place where you fit that maybe before you went to prison, you were couch surfing or maybe you were on the streets and you were sort of like accustomed to that life. And then you got some stability, meaning you were in one place for let's say two or three years and then you get out and it's like, where do I fit Mm -hmm. now? I don't know where I belong. I don't really want to return to that. I don't really feel like I fit with quote unquote normal people I don't think I can keep up that facade. I don't really believe that I can yeah. be just a normal functioning citizen. So where do I go now? Oftentimes people's family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, whatever, relocate. They move. Uh, life changes. And so you think that you might be jumping back into the same social situation you did or you had five years ago. And you can't. Yeah. Sometimes... Um, The way that people have supported themselves for a long time whether that be by legal means or not they can't do and so um, it's a big deal um, to think of someone who you know i've had people in their 40s and 50s who have never had um, a legal job meaning Mm -hmm. like paying taxes somewhere and getting a paycheck and they don't have any job skills they dropped out of school and so they're gonna go have to work for minimum wage Maybe a fast food place with kids or people half their age. Um, And their
1: their checks are going to be garnished.
2: Yeah, because they owe child support. Um, Restitution. Yeah, restitution fees, court fees. They owe um, credit debt. They owe sometimes student loans. And not to say that people aren't responsible to Mm -hmm. pay those Mm -hmm. things, but when you're making, let's say, $1,000 a month and you're taking home $600 a month, like what? what can you pay? You can't even rent a room in Portland for $600 Mm -hmm. a month. So I think those are some examples of things that I can that I can think of that get in
1: people's way. What comes to mind for me when thinking about barriers, they are providing prisons are providing the most behavioral health services, sometimes have the least qualified amount of people Sure. And that doesn't mean that there aren't qualified people in prisons. There are amazing people yeah. doing behavioral health in prisons. But when we talk about having behavioral health provided or services provided in prisons and 9 million people are getting out, can you imagine the amount of people who need to be served in the community to have you know healthy, whole person living? We're talking about a ton of people who need support.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of people, and that's a lot of things to keep track of. Mm
1: -hmm. When
2: you talk about something uh, narrowing a sense of being or connection or having sort of a short-sighted vision, when you're thinking about like just getting through today or survival, options don't seem plentiful, and ideas are short-lived, and that's all they'll ever be. And when we think about people who are locked up and who the system locks up more often and for longer periods of time, thing, basic needs all of a sudden become this thing that uh, you should just be grateful for and um, you should just be happy. That you're out or you should just be okay that you're having a place to live or you should just be satisfied with this job that you're gonna get and so the idea of more or better or improvement is not really a thing it's just like a thing to be okay I'm okay that I have food and 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 not that those aren't things to be grateful for but I think particularly for people coming out of the system they are conditioned um, to not want and not ask for anything more, and so then they end up settling, uh, which perpetuates the problem. A lot of what you've already talked about.
1: Yeah, and there's this. Um, I think it's a really challenging part of this work because what I hear you talking about is this internal dialogue that happens to people who after they experience trauma. So we have this dialogue um, that the trauma doesn't end just because the situation or the event is over we we continue to carry that and that's what you're saying or it sounds like you're saying and then there's the community response too which I want our listeners to be able to hear in that the community does respond Um, I think there are pockets in the community who respond differently or maybe more responsive but our community really doesn't understand how universal these connections are but I wondered what your thoughts are and how to how to reach people who feel like they don't have a connection to this community?
0: Yeah. um, That's really tough, you know, and I've seen it most in Portland than I've seen anywhere else. Um, But people really enjoy the comfort of their isolation. People really enjoy that bubble of existence and, um, They rather ignore uh, the problem. They rather ignore the others. Um, There's no reason for them to reach out beyond that. And it can lead to a lot of difficult conversations. Um, It can lead to you having to be more self-aware. And so bridging that gap, I think, is especially hard here.
1: So, Monica, what anthony is about to talk about makes people feel uncomfortable and it's not uncomfortable in a scary threatening type of way but almost it almost is
2: yeah i think it's i think it's the idea that people have to in order to build connection in the way that we're talking about in a community people have to be okay with being vulnerable Mm. anthony is such a
1: so much more of a better person than I am oh yeah I mean not that you're a bad person Hannah but what he's about to talk about I'm like oh my god it sounds so easy for him it's such a blind spot I Mm -hmm. think for us
2: you know we've talked about our own privilege on this show and really being transparent about how much space that we take up and so the idea that like no I just would rather be
1: comfortable no thanks
2: yeah and not like have to deal with all of that that Mm -hmm. sounds hard yeah um, he actually intentionally uh, seeks out tough situations and not only tolerates it, but actually enjoys the idea.
1: Leans in. Exactly.
0: Um, but what I try to do personally is find spaces that I've never been to before um i make sure that even though i have means to drive to work i prefer to take public transportation i prefer to be around other people that are commuting just like me Um, but that may look different and have different walks of life Um, my partner makes fun of me all the time because i'll find that random event online that has something to do with community talks or you know human rights or justice or politics and we show up and there's only like three people one person's like this you know eight-year-old you know yeah exactly yeah yeah and we'll be looking at each other like what is this soundtrack of like some space you know music or something (laughs) but it's weird and you know Sometimes we get something out of it, sometimes we don't, but it's just exposing, expose yourself to other people, um, other walks of life, you know, maybe start off slowly, exposure, and then start off with very mild conversation, but um, if you find yourself just kind of doing the same thing over and over again, and just existing within this realm of comfort, then that's part of the problem and you know it's hard for you to acknowledge or people to acknowledge that their comfort um is part of what is isolating us um your comfort is um part of the problem uh and ignoring the experience of other people um and the 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 pain and suffering that they're having to deal with on a daily basis um, doesn't make you a better person just because you're able to, you know, have a nice car and have a nice house. We all have underlying values that are important to us as people. Um, and that's just, you know, being happy, having joy, um, sharing love and having connections. Uh, it's a long list, but I think thinking of what our our common values and how can we connect to other individuals on these common values um, is the best way for us to start to work on building community and whatever that looks like for you as an individual but exposing yourself and learning and talking to people and growing and trying to build some kind of something around this common Value system, even if it if it's for a minute or two minutes or a day. Um, There's been people in my life where you know I was really close with them for maybe six months a year, and I just tried to make as genuine as of a connection as I could with this person, even though they're much different than me for whatever reason. And then you run into them like five years later, and they tell you how much of an impact you made and. It just blows you away, you know. Um, So every opportunity to be genuine, be authentic, and connect with somebody on these basic values that we all share as, you know, as human beings is really important.
2: Yeah, which takes curiosity, and it also takes risk, right? To be vulnerable, because you talked a lot about comfort, and I do think that's, um, I think that's definitely. A culture here in Portland, um, maybe because there's so many white people, I don't know, but um, the idea of like my own bubble, and I'm certainly guilty of that, you know, I'll go to like North Portland, I'm like, whoa, this is like a different city, you know, and it's like three miles from my house, um, which doesn't take a lot of effort from me, um, but sometimes it feels like it does, I guess. But the idea of just trying something new, being vulnerable, taking a risk, um, and embracing the discomfort of it. 'Cause you also mentioned like it could work. Like I, I could go to this event and it could work and I make a connection and it's awesome. Or I go and it's kind of weird and whatever, it wasn't the greatest. Like my time. Yeah. yeah. But that's the risk, yeah. right? When we don't know what the outcome is gonna be that I'm gonna try anyways.
1: Yeah. But I also think it's this interesting um space of whiteness that is an entitlement to comfort that we um, I'm speaking as a white person in my experience The expectation is that I am comfortable at all times Um, and because of my white privilege I largely am Um, I have the intersectionality of being uh, identifying as a woman and so that comes with some different discomforts but culturally I'm pretty comfortable all the time and I wonder for you as a community worker what you found to be uncomfortable
0: yeah yeah I I really like what you're saying Um, for me Um, I would say feeling uncomfortable happens in a lot of ways. Um, I identify as cis hetero, um, and I think, uh, there's a lot of norms that come with that. I'm really trying to acknowledge how much of those norms are ingrained in how I perceive the world and my lens, um, by which I interact with the people around me in my community. And so I'm really trying to look at who I am, who who am I as a person? What do I really look like versus what am I told to look like? What am I told to act like? Um, what are my norms and um, my my expectations? And so I am trying to actively acknowledge which parts are toxic and which parts are healthy and it almost feels like I'm criticizing myself um, because that's just the way I've been brought up and it's kind of ingrained but acknowledging that it's there is kind of hard because then it's kind of letting a part of me go Um, so I think at the beginning at the the back end before I'm engaging with community I'm trying to do that internal work. I'm trying to break out and um, unpack all the stuff that's gone into who I am as a person and trying to see what is the best version or the most genuine that really speaks to my spirit. And then I think with engaging with the community, I think um, probably like the biggest thing that makes me uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable because it's towards progress. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but it's good because it's towards progress. Mm-hmm. Is like my wantingness to just fix or help everybody. You know, <laughs> I've never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and part of that's been a survival skill. So when you come from a home with trauma, like you don't want to spark conflict and so you learn how to anticipate the need of the person who creates the conflict you anticipate the need of the traumatizer so you learn the skill of two steps before somebody needs something you know how to serve them best um and so i'll see opportunities like across the street like oh that person uh they probably need help with their bags or you know when i'm driving oh that person I can probably help change their tire because I can anticipate, you know, where the needs at based off of just very subtle, you know, uh, micro expressions or subtle body language. And so I want to help the community. I want to jump in, you know, with all my skills. Um, but then I'm like, I need to check myself. I need to check my intentions. Is this person capable of helping themselves? Um, and even if they're not, maybe they just want to try on their own. And I think for helpers and for community organizers that have this heart in um, supporting the community and growing the community, there's sometimes a sense of um, being a superhero and jumping into every situation to fix every situation. And I've really had to check myself um, self as I'm jumping in to these different scenarios and yeah it's just been weird to learn you know only recently like hey maybe I'm you know trying to help this one organization that helps sex workers um could that have something to do with your trauma around you know have it being forced into being a sex worker for a short amount of time like oh yeah i never realized that you know um so little things like that like i never considered those things as um stuff from my past could be influencing my positive work now um but now that i'm confronting it you know i'm like okay that's hard how do i separate myself from the, those two things like the trauma versus the individual
2: yeah when you think about the idea of self-improvement you know like maslow's hierarchy of needs i'm like did you really know what that meant by self-improvement because this process is like it's tough, exhausting right like it's tough as hell mm-hmm. to be like oh yeah there's this connection and like does this have something to do with like this certain event or thing in my life or this relationship and how is that influencing now? And then what do you do with it? Yeah, exactly. How do you
1: integrate that into anything?
2: Do Um, I want to change it? Do I want it to be different?
0: What kind of brings me back to the work of working on myself and working on community is like the generational look, the long-term look like I'm maybe fighting this uphill battle. Um, It's very hard, maybe traumatic on me. Um, but I, in some ways I'm creating the conditions for somebody else. And that might be somebody else in 40 years from now. It might be somebody else in 200 years from now, who knows? Um, but having that longer view on these little interactions and these little, um, this, these little the little time investments and showing up to that awkward, you know, uh, community building thing with only two people. It's like, yeah, that sucked. And it's hard work. And maybe I'm a little bit more depressed because of it. But I try to think of my kids. I try to think of my kids, kids and, you know, seven generations down and what that's going to look like for them. So that gives me a little joy, you know, even within that, that pain of discomfort, um, thinking that maybe in some way for somebody else or for another group of people eventually there might be some relief you know some some solace
1: so we've talked about a lot of really um deep and heavy things
2: i told you this is what anthony does yeah (laughs) i
1: think it's wonderful what kind of not on the opposite end but within those um deep and challenging realizations What gives you hope about the work that you do?
0: Hope and joy is just really at the center of it all. Um, What gives me hope is having the chance to give somebody joy. It makes me hopeful that that person will be able to um, spread joy, uh, whatever that looks like. So I'm always hopeful that that interaction can lead to generating the conditions for joy. I guess um, in this work, you can't really be tied to outcomes, um, and you know, om- there in a way. Like feeling hopeful is almost like feeling like um, there is a specific outcome that's possible. Um, So sometimes it's hard to be hopeful, Uh, but I would say what gives me hope is just that um, my little piece of the puzzle, um, whatever that looks like, um, can cause some joy for another person or for somebody else's experience.
2: So I really hope that you enjoyed our episode today where Anthony, our guest, was able to talk about so many different things related to
1: community. He's so smart. I know. I love him. So smart. Thank you, Anthony. Can't wait to have you back.